welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. The altar of incense represented communication between us and God. That's what the altar of incense represents. It represents us communicating with God. It's the earth to heaven communication. It's our prayer and our praise. It's that heavenly word or heavenward part of our relationship with God. I want to read for a Bible text today from Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. You probably didn't bring that Bible with you today because it would be like three times as thick as your normal Bible. But I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, our Bible text today. He shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the bronze altar before the Lord and his two hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil into the Holy of Holies and put the incense on the fire in the censer before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the altar, or excuse me, upon the ark of the testimony lest he die. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in respect to God's word this morning. This mixture of fire and incense. The fire is the sacrifice of the brazen altar. That's where they were to get the fire from. So if you're familiar with the layout of the tabernacle, the very first piece of furniture you would come into when you came into the courtyard of the tabernacle was the big brazen altar. It was the altar where all the sacrifices were made. It's where the animals were slain and then they were placed on this altar for sacrifice. And God said, I want you to take fire from that altar and then I want you to bring it and mix it with the incense off the altar of incense and then bring those things into the Holy of Holies. So if you'll let me preach to you just a little bit today, I'm going to talk about fire and incense. How many is going to help me preach this morning? I know we got a few people on vacation today. But you're still here. You can amen me this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. It's working. <clears throat> the Bible also tells us that there was no strange fire should be placed in the censer. When they were, the priest was doing this once a year process of atonement, this, this reading we found in the book of Leviticus is in the process of the atonement sacrifice. It's the once a year where they would slay the animal and then they would take the blood of that animal into the holies of holies and they would place it on the mercy seat. As part of that process, there was this mixing of fire and incense. He had to take the fire, the only acceptable fire to be placed in that censer was fire from the bronze altar or from the brazen altar. You need the fire that comes from sacrifice. We read in the Bible the story of Nadab and Abihu, brothers, who decided that they would use a different fire and place it in the censer. And the Bible tells us that God sent fire from heaven and burnt them to death. That's pretty serious stuff. So when God calls for fire, he calls for a very specific fire. He calls for the fire that comes from sacrifice. 
The only acceptable fire for the censer to be taken into the holies of holies is the fire from the brazen altar. So if you'll allow me today, could I call this the fire of sacrifice? The only fire that we can bring into the presence of God is the fire that burnt in sacrifice. What does that mean to us? That means the fire of sacrifice comes from the consuming of our self-will and our own desires. Sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Romans that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. This sacrifice is the consecration of our lives to God. It means we should live devoted to God. It's the sacrifice that I make to God that says, I was once living in a world and consumed by a world, and I spoke and represented that world, but now I've been changed, I've been transformed, and now I'm going to speak a new life, or speak a new talk, walk a new life, a life of consecration devoted to God, and it's through that sacrifice we have fire. Romans 6 and 22 tells us, But now being made free from sin... And become servants of God, ye have the fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting. Did you know living holy is still acceptable? Having consecration and conviction isn't old fashioned, it's still in the Bible, it's still in Scripture. We should still devote our life to Jesus Christ. We should still have things that convict our spirit. And we say, all right, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I've consecrated that to you, Lord. I separate that from my life. I don't do this because I'm trying to earn favor with God. I do this in a response to what God has already done for me. It's in my return response to God that I want to be more like Him. I want to be a Christian. The basics of being a Christian is I want to be like Christ. And if I want to be like Jesus Christ, then I have to follow 1 Peter 1 and 16. It says, be ye holy, for I am holy. That word holy just simply means separated. There's some things in our life that we have to separate ourselves from. Yes, it's a sacrifice. Yes, I have to lay myself on an altar. Yes, I have to no longer or choose to no longer act, look, talk, even sometimes dress, go and be like this world. Because God saved me from that. I'm no longer a representation of what I was, but now I'm a representation of what he's making me into. It is through this lifestyle that anointing fire falls in the life of the believer. It consumes these sacrifices we're making to God. And we have the anointed favor of God in my life. And you in your life. It's a sacrifice. That means it's uncomfortable at times. But all oh, the anointing that comes from God is worth it. Yes, there's fire, but yes, the anointing that burns in our life is so worth it. This is our fire of sacrifice. When I come to the house of God, I should bring with me 
the fire. The incense. There was only one incense ever used in the tabernacle. It was the incense used for the altar of incense. It had a very specific recipe or compound that the apothecary would follow when making it. Let me take that out of Bible language. It had certain spices and herbs that were put together and mixed. The apothecary is like a, like a pharmacist today. They were skilled. They understood what this fragrance would be and what the healing purpose of this one was. And they understood all the municipal uses of, of all the plants that are around them. And, and God gave them a very specific recipe or a compound to make for the incense to be used in the tabernacle. And that was the only incense that could ever be used in the tabernacle. A few Wednesdays ago, I just mentioned that we, we talked about the altar of incense. We really focused on the, it, the, the furnishings and the typologies between that and Christ and that and the church. But if I could talk today a little bit more about the incense itself. What is consumed on the altar of incense moves upward in its direction. Our prayer and our praise. Our prayer and our praise is upward in its direction. Our prayer and praise is not horizontal in its direction. Are you staying with me? I don't pray so that my neighbor can hear the fine words of eloquent speech in the oratory that I pray. I don't pray as the Pharisee in the New Testament who wanted to be seen and heard. We don't pray as the Pharisees in the New Testament who would put bells on their robe and stand in the corner and scream out yelling prescribed oratory to God simply to to garner or to gather the favor of the people. We're to pray, not horizontally, but we're to pray vertically. We're to pray heavenwardly. When we praise, we don't praise so that we can build an atmosphere for the crowd. When we praise God, we praise God because we're praising God. We praise Him not because my neighbor needs to see me praise God. I don't praise God because I want you to get the goosebumps from my praise. I praise God because He's done some stuff for me. He's delivered me. He's set me free. He's given me hope. He's given me promise. When I praise God, my praise is not horizontal, but my praise is heavenward. And so when we come together and we want to represent the incense, we must represent it in heavenwardly praise and worship, prayer. And when it comes to our relationship with God, there's only one acceptable incense that we can offer to God. It's not the praise of our talent. It's not the praise of our ability. But it's the praise of thanksgiving that must be given to God. When we come to God and we pray our prayers to Him, it is not the prayer 
of the saints of old that we are repeating. But it's my prayer to God that he wants to hear. There's only one acceptable incense that can be given to God. And that's the prayer and praise that comes from our own lips. Somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole was working with a believer who was struggling. And every time I met this individual, one of the first things they would always say to me is, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. You know what? I was their pastor. And it's my responsibility as their pastor to pray for them. And I did, often. And I do. I pray for you, often. It's my job. It's my responsibility. I love doing it because when I pray for you and then I see God begin to answer those prayers, it builds my faith. You might not like this next part, but then I start to pray bolder prayers about you. But this individual, every time I would meet them, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? <laughs> will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And you know what? Something just welled up in my spirit one day. I said, you know what? You need to pray for yourself. You need to bend your knee. And you need to open your mouth. And you need to speak to God your problems and your concerns and your hang-ups and your habits and your hurts. You need to turn it over to God. There's sometimes that we don't need somebody else to pray for us. There's sometimes we just need to pray ourselves. You can't live off of pastor's prayers. My prayers don't build relationship between you and God. My prayers don't build communion between you and God. The prayers of your mother or your grandmother will not build relationship between you and God. The only way that you're going to build relationship, a communication channel between you and God, is when you use your mouth and your words and the intent of your heart and you begin to pray and talk to God. Hear me today. Livespring Church, the saints of God love you. The saints of God pray for you. But their prayers can't build a relationship with God for you. It takes your prayers to connect your soul to the divine one. Prayer matters. Prayer is a requirement in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm feeling a little bold this morning. If you don't pray, I ask myself the question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? You must pray. Don't get mad at the pastor if he says you have to pray. Don't get mad at the preacher when he says you have to pray. That's in the word of God. He tells us to pray constantly, without ceasing, always being in a spirit of prayer. Prayer is not an add-on benefit to my relationship with God. Prayer is not like electric windows in your car. It's not an option that you can choose for, choose to add on. Prayer is a necessity. Prayer is a requirement in the life of the believer. It's through prayer that we offer up and we get the incense. There's two reasons prayer is needed in our life. One, because God told us to pray. How many's ever had a child and 
that child asked to do something and you said no, and their first response was why, and your immediate response was, I said so. Now that's, a, all parents, keep that in your back pocket. That's the, I haven't come up with a good reason yet, but here's your answer, answer. The other one is, let me think about it. Or maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe does not have a time frame. If your child can't have an ice cream cone because you said so, then we should pray because God said so. If it's good enough for me to use on my children, it's good enough for the Heavenly Father to use on me as His child. Heaven has an expectation of those who have punched their ticket on the good old gospel ship, if I can refer to the old song. If you've boarded that ship and you're headed towards heaven, there's an expectation in heaven. And the expectation is that we pray. So we pray because God told us it's a requirement. It's also a need that we pray because it's our lifeline between heaven and and earth. I don't remember all the lyrics. I just remember the title. And if I thought about it for a second, I could probably tell you the hymnal number of the old hymn, The Royal Telephone. There's no operator. It's always available. Someone always answers on the other end. That's what prayer is. Prayer is an open line between humanity and divinity. When you pray, God's always listening. There's no time you get down on your knees and begin to pray, and God's like, hold on, come back in 10 minutes, I'm busy. No, He's always listening. He's always available for us. Prayer is that line that connects me to God. It connects you to God. It opens up the pathway for God to move on us through His Spirit. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. And there's nothing more like Jesus Christ than being a person of prayer. How many times does the Bible say Jesus prayed? Well, I want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. One of my prayers is that there would be an overwhelming conviction and burden that returns back on the people of God to pray. God, give us a desire to connect with you. God, give us a desire to pray. Prayer is part of the incense that moves heavenward from earth to God. That other part of communication between us and God is praise. Praise is a part of that mixture in the incense. There's something about Shutting out everything that's going on around you. Maybe even closing your eyes. Maybe even turning off your ears. I don't know how you do that. Maybe even closing down your attention. And just focusing heavenwardly. 
and letting a spirit of thankfulness and appreciation sweep over you. Letting the glory of God flood your soul. It doesn't matter what's happening next to me. It doesn't matter what's happening two rows in front of me. It doesn't matter what's happening across the aisle from me. I'm standing in the presence of the Holy One. I'm standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm standing in the presence of Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The Creator, the Author, the Finisher. I'm in the presence of the only Sovereign One. The One who's spoke into nothing and created everything in his presence it doesn't matter what's going on around me in this moment in the last hour in the last day no I stand in his presence and I let thanksgiving sweep over my heart and I begin to praise him I begin to lift words of adoration to him I begin to tell him how much I'm thankful for what he has done for me this is a necessary component in the incense. When praise breaks out, people get out of the doldrums. When praise breaks out, spirits of oppression are loosed off of people. When praise breaks out, people have now taken hold of their greatest weapon of victory there's something you can do that the devil can't do anymore praise if you want to just put it in Satan's face just start praising God the Bible tells us that he had some form of leadership of praise in heaven and because he got pride in his heart he got kicked out of heaven what an idiot. He failed when there wasn't even a devil to tempt him to fall. But he can no longer, in a pure heart and a pure mind, with a pure spirit, do what he once did. He can no longer praise God with a pure conscience and a pure heart. But if I've sinned or if I've committed a wrong, all I have to do is confess my sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then in the very next moment, I have a right to begin to praise him and to honor him and to worship him. And Satan just has to stand on the sideline and watch me get my victory. He has to stand on the sideline and watch me be victorious in my life. Praise is one of the greatest weapons for victory. Multiple times God brought victory to the Israelites through praise. Gideon's army praised. What a crazy story. Gideon gets the men together. We're going to go fight and defeat the enemy. And Gideon's first words, and I'm paraphrasing, Who, me? I believe the verse in scripture says, the angel of the Lord says something along the lines of the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, hey Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response was, who, me? And so Gideon gets the army together and they're ready to go fight. And God says, you got too many. 
God's math's different than our math. Because I'd have been like, no, Lord, the way this works is the more I have, the better chance I have of winning. If I'm one for one, we're not real talented. They might beat us up. If we're two for one, we got a better chance. If we're ten to one, God, we got, it's going to look really good on our behalf. And God's like, nope. And he cut it all the way down to 300 men. Gideon and 300 men were going to go take on the entire army in the valley. And I'm sure Gideon, all right, guys, we're going to have practice. None of us are men of war. Somebody go grab a sword. Nobody owns a sword. Well, we're up the creek. Somebody get a big stick. And God's like, hold on, Gideon. You don't need swords and spears and shields. All right, Lord. You already took my army, which I worked very hard to recruit all these guys to convince them to come fight. You already cut it down to 300. And now you just want us to march in there and smile? You think that's going to do it, huh? God's like, no. I want you to get a lantern and a pitcher. And I want you to put the lantern inside the pitcher so that the light doesn't shine. Well, Gideon didn't have the New Testament, but if he did, he might have said, well, Lord, your word says I should let my little light shine and I shouldn't hide it under a bushel. It's not making sense, Lord. And then he says, I want you to get something to break the pitcher. And when Gideon gives you the commandment, you're going to scream, you're going to praise God, you're going to yell everything that's good and righteous and thankful to Jehovah, and you're going to break that pitcher, and the light's going to shine out, and I will give you the victory. And so 300 men climb to the top of the mountain all the way around, and the enemy's asleep in the valley, and Gideon gives the sign. And they break the pitcher and they begin to yell and they're holding their light up. And the enemy wakes up and they hear the yelling and the screaming and the shouts of victory from the Israelites. And they look up and they see light all the way around them. And their first thought is we're surrounded. There's no way we can win. And they're waking up out of a sleeping stupor and they're confused. Is this my bunkmate or is this the enemy? And they start killing each other. And because Gideon and his 300 men chose to praise God, God annihilated their enemy. That doesn't make sense. But that's how God works. If you want victory, begin to praise Him. Praise Him for victory. Praise Him for victory. I can't tell you all the stories. The children of Israel were crossing the desert, the wilderness. They had now come to the Jordan River, and they were about to take on Jericho. And the Bible says the walls of Jericho were so wide that they raced chariots on top of the walls. And God tells Aaron, all right, Aaron, I got a crazy idea. You guys are not going to uh, fight the inhabitants of Jericho. I'm going to give you the city. Awesome, God. We'll just sit right here. Let us know when it's open. Well, no, there's some stuff you got to do. For six days, 
I want you to march around the wall once a day. Not a sound. I'm sure the heathens of Jericho climbed to the top of the wall. Oh, here comes those Israelites again. It's day three. They're going to walk around the wall again. What do you think they're going to do? Wear the grass out? And they would jeer, and they would make fun, and they would point fingers. Who knows? They may have thrown rotten fruit over the edge of the wall at them. The commandment from God was, don't say a word, just march. And then the seventh day came, and the word of God was, I want you to line them up. I want the praisers up front, and I want the people in the back. And I want you to march around seven times today. Six times, not a word. But when I give the signal on your seventh round around the city of Jericho, I want the trumpeters to trumpet. I want the singers to <coughs> I want the singers to sing. I want those to have the tambourines to play the tambourines. I want the entire praise section to just go berserk in praising God. And when the people hear them praising God, I want the people to yell a praise at the loudest of their voice. And so they did it. And when they came around, Aaron gave the signal and the praisers began the praise and the people began the praise and the word says that the walls fell down flat. Well, I've come up against an obstacle in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach to you now. There's some walls in my life I can't get past. There's some things that seem like they're insurmountable to me. I can't figure out how to climb over them. I can't figure out how to dig under them. And the more I march around them, the less I'm encouraged. I want to tell you today, keep marching around the walls. And when God gives you the sign, you let out a praise like you've never praised Him before. You let out a voice of triumph like you've never let out before. The walls will still be standing. The obstacle will still be in your face. But when you Praise God, the walls will fall. Praise is an essential part of the incense we bring to God. Praise isn't dependent on the person next to you. The person next to you is frowning and cross-eyed and cross-spirited and all mad. And they're just at church today. Thank God they're here, but I'm going to praise God. If you come to church today and you don't feel like praising God, praise Him anyway. Bless His name anyway. Honor Him anyway. Lift a praise to Him anyway. It'll bring you out of the doldrums. It'll bring you out of the hurt. It'll bring you out of the pain. It'll bring you out of the difficulty. It'll change you. It doesn't matter what's happening across the aisle. I'm going to praise God anyway. <clears throat> Did you know when you really get to praising God, somebody might hear you? It don't matter. When you really get to praising God, you might draw the attention of somebody. And they may turn around in their seat. What's going on three rows back? I'll tell you what's going on three rows back. They're getting their victory. Join them. Why don't you get yours too? When somebody is praising God, the right response is not to be like David's wife who stood on the wall and mocked his praise to God. You're familiar with the story? David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And the Bible says every seventh pace, 
he would stop and praise God and offer sacrifices. And his wife, Michael, sat in the window and looked out the window. And she said, I'm paraphrasing. That's unbecoming of a king. That's so disrespectful. That's so uncool. What a reproach. Am I really married to that guy? The Bible says that she never had children. It doesn't say the Lord made her barren. The Bible says she never had children. She made fun of the king's praise and the king said, you're going to live by yourself, young lady. Don't associate with those who make fun of your praise. Just praise God anyway. Just bless God anyway. You're bringing the presence of God back to its rightful place. You're bringing the spirit of God back to where it belongs. Praise Him. Honor Him. Worship Him. When you praise God, you bring the power of God into your life. What would happen if the redeemed of God were to let an outburst of praise just ring from their spirit? What would happen if thanksgiving just flooded our hearts and gratitude overtook our attitude? I'll tell you what would happen. Satan would lose in his attempt to silence you. Your spirits of oppression would be released from you. Your attitude would go from negative to positive, from sour to sweet. Your outlook on life would go from dark to bright. The Holy Ghost you received would be activated. There'd be new feelings, in feelings. There'd be re-in feelings of the Holy Ghost. There would be a mighty move of God. If I would just decide I'm going to mix up some incense, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to praise, and I'm going to let there be a communication from my heart to heaven. I'm going to make sure God hears my voice. I'm going to make sure my lips move my voice box rattles and God hears me say how much I love him how thankful I am for him the fire is the fire of sacrifice the incense is our praise and worship to God and God said when you go into the holies of holies Bring these two things with you. You with me? On the day of atonement, high priest, when you've offered the sacrifice on the altar and you've washed in the laver and you've walked through into the temple or into the tabernacle, and you've walked through the holy place, and you've come to the altar of incense, and you've gathered some incense, and you're carrying with you a censer with fire from the brazen altar, and then you step into the holies of holies, then I want you to mix them together. Then I want you to combine the fire and the incense. And when you do that, the incense is going to come out of that censer and it's going to cover the mercy seat. It's going to fill up between the cherubs. And it says that God would smile and his presence would show up. If you want the presence of God in your life, you've got to mix some fire and some incense. If you want to see a manifestation of God, then you've got to make some sacrifice and you've got to pray and you've got to praise. 
You ever heard somebody say, and this is old school, man, that church service is locked up. It's like an old gear-driven tool. You just can't get it to budge. It's all rusty. It's all clogged up. The gears are locked up. It's not moving. What they're saying is, I'm somewhere where there's some religious practice happening. There may even be a, a measure of God's presence but there isn't the complete liberty for God to do what only He can do and what He wants to do. When I come to church, I come so God can do everything that's on His list of to-dos that day. When I show up, if God wants to heal, I want Him to heal. When I show up, if God wants to save, I want Him to save. When I show up, if God wants to pour out His Spirit, I want Him to pour out His Spirit. With new infillings and with re-infillings. If God wants to adjust me, then Lord, adjust me. If God wants to work on my attitude, then God work on my attitude. I used this verse last week. You get it twice. I couldn't get past this verse this week. This is the verse that God branded on my heart this week. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yes, these are my notes from last week, but here we go. John tells us that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That freedom means a payment has been paid. You've been released from bondage. That's that freedom of John. But that's not what liberty means in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the word liberty means that I grant permission to somebody else. I oblige somebody else. I you get it. I give them the right. There's the word. I give them the right to do as they will. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is the right for God to do whatever he wants to do. I always heard this verse growing up in the context that the saints would have liberty. But that's not what 2 Corinthians 3 is about. The 2 Corinthians 3 isn't about us having liberty. It's about God having liberty to do what He wants to do among us. And so where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, God then has the liberty to do what He wants to do. That's a service that's unlocked. That's a service where God's Spirit freely flows. God can't do the miraculous until a service is unlocked. And it's not unlocked until I go into his presence with some fire and with some incense. Then he has complete liberty to do his will in my life. I made up my mind this week. There's one question I'm never going to ask anybody ever again. Well, there's probably several I shouldn't, but this is the one I'm focused on. I'm never going to ask anybody, what do you want God to do for you today? 
doesn't matter what you want God to do. What does God want to do for you today? Sometimes we come to church and we have a grocery, shop, grocery shopping list for God. Okay, God, I'm coming to church today. In the first five minutes, I need you to mark off this one. And in the next ten minutes, I need you to mark off this one. And before we leave, I got these six things, Lord. If you'll take care of these, then I'll say I went to church today and it'll be a good day. But if I only get three of the six, Lord, you're not good enough. Leave your list in your car. Come inside. Bring with you two things when you come into the house of God. Bring some fire and bring some incense when you walk into the presence of God. And say, it's not about my will today, but it's all about your will, God. Do what you want to do with me today. Speak how you want to speak in me today. Move how you want to move on me today. When I step into his presence and I begin to take that incense and I begin to sprinkle it into that censer and that incense begins to hit the fire of sacrifice that I've been making that week and it begins to smolder and the smoke begins to come out of the sides of that censer and it begins to fill the place around me. God says I can work with that because it's no longer about your will, your desire, your expectation but you've surrendered yourself to God and in the moment of absolute surrenders to God, that's when he moves. And when we surrender to God, the miraculous happens. Faith is built up when we realize my human expectation is insufficient. Well, Lord, if you just do this, I'd be happy. And God's like, well, I don't want you to be happy with that. I want you to be happy with this. Lord, if you'll just give me, if you'll just bless me, Lord, with, with a small measure, I'll be, I'll be satisfied. God's like, I don't do small. It's nothing or everything. Lord, if you'll just fill me halfway today, I'll be happy. No, I don't do halfway, God says. God says it's nothing or everything. I need all of your life or you're going to hold it all to yourself. I need everything from you or yourself directing your, your life. And that's when anointing begins to flow. When we say, no longer is it about me, Lord, but it's all about you. Please, let me be a little bit overly transparent today about the intent of what I'm preaching to you. I'm not preaching today just that Life Spring Church will have quote-unquote good church. I'm preaching so that when we come together and we gather in this sanctuary, there's fire and incense that causes there to be life-changing experiences with God. Internal impacting kind of church. This is a good place to amen. I'm preaching so that backsliders will repent and they'll be refilled with his spirit. I'm preaching so sinners feel conviction when they walk into the sanctuary. I'm preaching so that disciples will take the next step in consecration. I'm preaching so there will be an increase in our faith. I'm preaching so there will be a free outpouring of the Holy Ghost when we come together. 
Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I'm preaching today so that your faith could be built up, so that you would recognize and see that yes, you've been struggling this week. Yes, you made some consecration this week. Yes, there's been some fire in your life this week. But bring it to church on Sunday. And when you bring it, bring with you some praise. Don't bring the grumbly, griping, complaining about all the hard stuff you went through. That's water. That's not incense. Better analogy. It's a wet blanket. It's not incense. Nobody would understand it but us if I put a sign on the front door that said, No wet blankets allowed. All of our moms with babies would be like, what am I going to do? Oh, I want to come into his presence. I want to bring the sacrifice that I've been dealing with this week. Yeah, Lord, I made some consecrations to you. And, and yeah, I struggled a little bit this week to honor those consecrations. But I did it. I endured the sacrifice. And I'm coming. And I'm bringing it to you. Not so that I receive glory. But so that I could give it to you. And you would receive the glory. Because I didn't sacrifice to earn your favor, God. You already gave me your favor. You forgave me while I was still a sinner. You loved me while I was still doing wrong. You, come on, help me somebody. You had grace on me when I didn't deserve it. You were merciful to me when I deserved justice. And because of it, I bear a fruit in me. And that fruit is, I separate some things out. And I bring that fire to you. And I bring it with a voice of communication to God. Or if we just lift our hands towards heaven for a minute. Lord, I love you this morning, God. Lord, let my heart be turned towards you. Let my spirit be turned towards you. Lord, let my mind and my heart be turned towards you. Come on, somebody. Let's go ahead and make up your mind right now. I'm going to bring my fire and I'm going to bring my incense to you, God. I'm going to bring my everything to you, God. Lord, I give it to you today. I surrender it to you right now, God. My, my everything, my all in all, I'm giving it to you, Jesus. There's another instance in Scripture where we see the mixing of fire and incense. It's in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Numbers Chapter 16. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took, as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead 
and the living, and the plague was stayed. This is the only time I found in Scripture outside of the holies of holies where the censer was used for a mixture of fire and incense. Fire from the altar, a brazen altar, and incense from the altar of incense. It was an extraordinary circumstance. God was bringing judgment on the people. And this judgment was a plague that had begun to move through the camp of the Israelites. And Moses had a commandment to Aaron. I want you to create a separation. I want you to draw a line in the sand, Aaron. And the way that you're going to make this difference between the living and the dead is with a censer with fire and incense in it. And when he did, he stepped out there and the people backed up and the dead were on one side and the living were on the other side and between them was a censer with fire and incense in it. Let me tell you today, Christianity as a whole, the people of God as a whole, has a plague. God's not happy with everything that has the title Christian on it. God's not happy with everything that's done just for religious purposes. There are people who sing good songs, but they have no authority or power in the Spirit. Jesus talked about it. He said, there will be those who will come to him and he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But they will say, but we did this in your name and we did that in your name. That's the day that we're living in. There are people who are using his name for their benefit, but they're not using his name for his praise. The plague is the plague of self. When preaching becomes a form of entertainment, there's a plague. When praise and worship turns into a concert, there's a plague. When prayer becomes optional, there's a plague. When the consecrated living is based on how I feel that day. Hear me church. Hear me people of God. There's a plague. When conviction is dismissed. There's a plague. When serving becomes somebody else's responsibility. There's a plague. When faithfulness has no meaning. There's a plague. When stewardship is based on my other finances. There's a plague. Oh God, I say, let the plague be gone. Let the plague no longer exist. And God says the plague can be healed. How is the plague healed? It's when I bring my fire and my incense to God. Oh God, will you stay the plague that's already begun in the Christian world? The answer is yes. The plague will be stopped when we begin to sacrifice in consecration again. The plague will be stopped when we begin to pray again. The plague will be stopped when we begin to praise again. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, that's God's people, he didn't say if the world, he didn't say if the sinner, he didn't say if the talented. He said if my people, 
And he specified his people. Not just people who walk down the street and say, I believe in God. But people who are called by my name. Will humble themselves. Well, that's what I'm preaching about today. The fire is humility. The fire says it's no longer about me, but it's about his will. If they'll humble themselves and pray. That sounds like the incense today. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. If we want a healing to happen in your neighborhood. Maybe you need a healing to happen in your house. Maybe you need a healing to happen in your life. If it happens first in me, and then in my family, and then in my neighborhood, and then in my block, and then in my city, and then it can impact my nation. It starts with me. I need a healing in my life. God, if there's any plague in my life, if there's any doubt, any spirits of oppression, if there's any fear, if there's a lack of faith, if I've lost anything in my relationship with God, Lord, let me bring the fire and the incense back to you and let this offering be pleasing. Let it be a sweet, savoring incense in your nostrils, O God. And turn us from our wicked ways. And heal us, oh God. What is it that separates the living from the dead? It's the mixture of fire and incense. It not only stops the plague, but it causes a separation. And that's what the word holy means. I'm not preaching an exclusive message today. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. God doesn't draw lines in the sand to exclude people. God draws lines in the sand because he wants people to be included. But for them to be included, they have to cross the line. They have to enter into what he's calling them to. He has to enter into, they have to enter into what he wants them to be. Oh, a line... It's being drawn in the sand. Who? Who will bring the fire? Who? Who will bring the incense? Who will bring it into the altar? Who will bring it into the holies of holies? Who will come into the sanctuary with the fire and with the incense? Who will come before my presence and stand before me and take their offering and take their praise and put them together? Would you stand with me this morning? God's calling out to somebody today. Yes, you've been sacrificing. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's not your favorite thing to do. But your sacrifice isn't without purpose. Your sacrifice isn't without a calling and a reason. He's calling you to a new anointing. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.